Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I'm so excited because we're doing it again. I'm taking another person like you who's going through the journey, who's changing their life, who's doing their thing so they can share their story so you and I can learn through their transformation so we can hear what they've been through. And this story is really profound how she reached out to me and shared with me her transformation in a moment of complete transformation. It was actually really crazy. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't not bring her on because it was such a cool message to receive and then story to share and transformation to share. And I think what it reminds us of and what you'll hear in this is perhaps your own challenges, your own struggles as a human, just feel witnessed through knowing you're not the only one and also inspired, inspired that we can all change and transform and change our habits and our patterns and our, you know, even toxic behaviors, right? Of course we can. But knowing that we can by hearing that someone else did is such an inspirational thing. And then we go from knowing to being. And what a journey. We're always going from knowing to being. You're always the caterpillar and always the cocoon and always the butterfly. What a beautiful expression each of those things are. And that's true of all the different aspects of my life where I'm constantly in caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly stages at different times at the same time, if that makes sense. So I wanted to take a second to share with you a little sort of hack that I've come up with. So I have really dialed back caffeine. I don't drink much caffeine. And the reason I decided to do that is because I don't like anything that I have to depend on. Like if I need caffeine to wake up, then I got to quit caffeine because to me that was I'm in service to it rather it being in service to me. Like I'm not choosing my relationship with it. I'm dependent on my relationship with it. And so one way that I've figured out how to get that energy, that sort of afternoon crash that we sort of all can experience is that I use Organifi red juice. And my friend went the other day was saying like, you give a lot of love to the green juice because let's be honest, green juice on the go, amazing. And she was like, red juice is where it's at. And it really is true. In the afternoons, I'll mix in a red juice with sparkling water or regular water, and it enhances your energy. It's antioxidant rich. And you know, when you compare it, it only has one gram of sugar and it has 11 superfoods and only 30 calories in a package. So make sure you go check it out. As you know, I love this brand, Organifi. If you want to save 20% on everything from Organifi, go to Organifi. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash create the love and you get 20% off everything. Also check out their new pumpkin spice flavor because it's ridiculous. Without further ado, I'm so excited to have Jennifer Himeno on the podcast sharing her story. And hopefully this helps you explore your story as it helped me explore mine. Much love. Welcome. I'm so excited to have Jenny Himeno on the podcast. Jenny is a hairstylist, a writer, a podcaster. I mean, that makes you an artiste for sure. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You know, I think our story of becoming is interesting because I'll speak to my side, which was I'm in my DMs, I'm checking them out, and I have a message from you. And that message is... If you, if you wouldn't mind sharing just like your side and what your circumstances were as you sent it. Cause I was like, what? This is amazing. 
my message was it had been less than 24 hours after pushing my son out. And I was in the hospital at St. Paul's and I just had this brief moment of peace and calm amid the chaos because he had jaundice. So we weren't quite discharged yet. And I remember feeling this just overwhelming feeling of gratitude. And a lot of that I can attest to what I've learned as a result of following your work. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to cast this net out and see if I can touch base with Mark Groves. And if he responds, amazing. And at the very least, if I can just say thank you and he that reaches him somehow, then that's all I could ask for. And, and I meant it because holding my baby there and looking at him and he's, I put him down to obviously send the message to you. And uh, it just made me feel like this is proof. Like this baby is proof of what can result from choosing yourself and doing the work, no matter how hard it looks or no matter what it looks like on the outside. If, if you trust yourself and, and forge in that path, then these literally miracles happen. And mm. two miracles, my baby being born and you replying, I thought was pretty bonus too. I remember we were lying, like Sean and I, my partner were lying in bed and Co was sleeping and I saw a response from you and it was a voice message, which was like a super bonus. And we were both aghast. We were like, this is so cool. Like this guy has so many people reaching out and you took the time, which time is such a great gift. So thank you for responding to me, which led us to here. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your message. You know, I I often miss messages all the time because they sort of like come in at high volume and it can only hold so many. And then it just bumps out the ones that are oldest. Yeah. And when I saw your message, I was just sort of taken aw away by one, your circumstances that you literally just gave birth, you are a portal and you just open the portal. Like that's the coolest, just that you took the time and that it was important enough to you in that moment of just sort of marinating in the endorphins and the connection with your child and your partner to say thank you that I was like, well, there's got to be a really cool story here. Like there and I just was overwhelmed with gratitude too, just sort of emotional to say like, wow, you never know when I'm going through my relational shit that I then, it bursts me wanting to write and talk and share about it. And then you have someone whose life is touched who then touches more lives through their own experience. I think it's sort of like this, not just pay it forward, but also this experience that our pain is our pain is alchemical. It's transformative. If we allow it to sort of cook us and change us. And I was really, uh, there was something in the resonance of the message that made me go, okay, sure. there's something here. Jenny and I got a jam. <laughs> yeah. I often say growth is like an alchemy and it's not always for the faint of heart because so much of that process requires breaking down walls that you held up to protect yourself from seeing parts of yourself that are very vulnerable or that you're not proud of, or, but you know, sometimes what's in the way is the way. So like, can we learn to get curious about that? And so much of your work, oh man, like in many ripe times of many versions of myself that I've lived, especially in the last three years and learning to relate to myself has been so instrumental in my growth. So thank you again. 
Well, you're so welcome. And I'm curious. I mean, you know, I say you're so welcome, but really you're the one who did all the work. I might've just been like, Hey, here's a couple of things we can all do to change. And I'm curious what in that moment of sort of observing the results of your transformation, what was it about it? Like what, how, where had you come from that felt so like in that moment of, of reflection, you were just sort of overwhelmed by like, wow, I've really, I got this kid, Koa. Funny story about his name, but I'll tell you that later. <laughs> yeah, please tell it all. But yeah, I'm curious, like, where did you start that, that this was so profound of a moment? Well, from my chaotic self, I was really imbalanced. I think I thought I had it all together. And it's just like, when you do the work, more layers are unveiled to you as you do them. And we either choose to run towards it or run away from it. And I often ran away from it. But every time I let myself in and like sit with the discomfort, I would learn a new truth about myself. And so values started to become more important than me. You know, like I focused more on a life that I wanted to be feeling happy in versus what I wanted to look like to the outside world. And I think when you're so young and you don't spend time getting to relate to yourself and know yourself, you are so quick to outsource what your self-worth is, which is mm -hmm. often what I did. And I did that through shopping. Like I was a Ritzia junkie, you know, like I spent my money as quick as I made it. And hairstyling has offered me such a great platform for that because it's, it's great quick money. You build relationships with people, but you know, that was kind of the beginning. My money, my relationship with money was like, if I'm so quick to spend this money and I invested energy in making it, what does that say about the way I spend my energy? And then I just started to make links between like, and energy is something that we spend over time and it takes up space in our emotional real estate. And so I had to get clear with myself and like, how am I contributing to the stories that aren't serving me? Am I going to sit in this victim syndrome or am I going to be accountable for like, am I making choices that are actually contributing to something that isn't making me happy? And so I, I stayed, like I grew up in Richmond all my life and I moved to Kitsilano like three years ago. And then just between that time, I had relationships with people that, you know, I was always so quick to point a finger. And when I had to like hold the mirror up to myself, I just kept discovering things and I got curious and there were tools along the way that helped me see that. So in that chaos, I, I did some work with myself. I like, I even went to therapy and I found that I hated therapy. It was such a trigger thing for me, but it also unveiled things that I could appreciate now looking back, like that was necessary. Like we do need to name it to heal it. And so, yeah, it was just a crazy order of things. And my partner now was definitely a huge component of, you know, like where I am today. Yeah. So that was a part of it. You need to name it to heal it. That's such a good reminder because we can't yeah. turn towards any truth or heal any truth that we're not willing to acknowledge. And, you know, you said that, that you started to turn towards your chaos, like started to turn towards and turn the mirror back upon yourself and actually acknowledge what you saw. What gave you the courage to finally do that? I was so 
sick of being annoyed with myself. <laughs> I felt like I was beating the drum of like, like chasing your own tail. Like if, if things aren't changing and I'm the constant with the time that I have to spend with myself, then, then what can I do to change this? Like, even if it was like a micro thing, if, you know, like we have choices in how we spend our time. And if I have five, 10 minutes to spend scrolling through social media, then I certainly have five or 10 minutes to reground myself and meditate or go for a walk in nature or do something that's going to add value and not something of an outside circumstance that was going to pull me further away from the work that I knew I needed to do. And I think that's the beauty of surrendering to that thing that's nudging you is that when you sit with it, it's like alchemy. Like I said, like it changes like the chemical makeup inside you and you feel peace and calm. And it's like a green light saying, yeah, you're doing something right. Now dig deeper. It's not going to always feel comfortable, but keep going. So that's what I did. And I'm so glad I did. Well, that feeling of it's not always comfortable. It certainly isn't. Oh, as soon as you're turned towards shit your shit. Sometimes. Right, like, oh, wait, I remember having this moment of, I mean, it was such a simple moment of awareness, but it was like, you know, when you like continuously experience, you make the same decision over and over again. And, you know, you wake up in the morning or wherever you wake up or you have a moment after and you're sort of in the, my friends in college would joke, would say you needed to wash yourself with shampoo. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, and I remember sitting in this moment of just awareness of like, I felt bad, I felt guilty, I felt shame, whatever. And I remember just having this wave of, but you keep choosing it. Yeah. And it was like, wait, you keep choosing it. Well, I'm the common denominator in all these outcomes. Mm -hmm. I'm the common. And I was overcome a bit with shame in that space because now I had this awareness that I kept choosing it and now I had a responsibility and it was obviously, you know, to sort of choose something differently. And of course you choose something differently and you have a different emotional experience. All of a sudden you're proud of yourself. You're proud, even though that, that road of like not choosing whatever is the addiction or the distraction is, it's not instantly rewarding. It's foundationally rewarding in that like it's like a slow yeah. drip you know it's not the quick hit of dopamine it's actually like the slow hit of self-worth and self-worth I think takes a lot longer to create a space of foundation than than something that's instantaneous that pulls you away from the reality that you don't have a foundation if that makes sense it does and I feel like exactly what you said it is a slow drip and we in society have been really conditioned to be in a lot of ways an instant gratification society. And so when it comes to doing this kind of work, I mean, I was that person who didn't want to do it. So I can see how it might not appeal to you, but the more awake you become, and I'm not saying that it's linear because it's not, but the more awake you become, the more you become aware when you're off and you're off energetically. And it's kind of like Abraham Hicks said, like to the degree that you grow anything less won't feel good. And it's true. Like when you do that work and you've felt it or you see it and you see your change, you cannot unsee it. You will have like other patterns maybe and situations that might show up to constantly test you, but you'll know, like innately you'll know and feel when it's off. And so it's like this, this new wiring in your brain that tells you like, okay, how do we recalibrate? Like, what can I do? What is this teaching me? Instead of 
here I am again, like I'm a loser or I'm not worth it. Or, you know, like I, it's just that thing that allows you to give yourself more grace as you do the work instead of beat yourself down because you got it wrong. Like there's just some things getting wrong teaches you that success can't and that's okay. So, yeah. Some things getting it wrong teaches you that success can't. Yeah, there's so much truth in that. That <laughs> failure, failure, quote unquote, because, you know, I don't know that that's the accurate. That's how society might describe any ending or any lesson. Yeah. Mistakes have always been far more expansive than my successes. There's no doubt about that. And right? I would argue that yeah. the mistakes led to the emotional resiliency, the passion, the purpose to actually create what quote unquote is even success because it even knows everything falls apart that comes together, you know, good taco reference always. <laughs> yeah. Remember when you had Dr. Harriet Lerner on and in one of her seven courageous seven courageous ways to use your voice and show up authentically, I think was the episode, but yeah. it says God is in the details. Like it isn't necessarily about this perfect outcome that we've I think society has a lot to do with the way we picture what a successful relationship looks like. It's it's in the transient way that we execute it and we go through that journey. And, and like, as you actively discover those things and do the work, you are given tools or resources, or you meet people through conversations. I think story sharing is such medicine where you can connect and like, you recognize something in yourself that's there and it's important. So do the work. It's so worth it. I'm curious what was like one piece or some part of my work that was most transformative for you. I think a lot of it was holding up mirrors. Like a lot of what you speak to says that real life, I mean, sorry, real love doesn't always hold up a mirror that's perfection. It can hold up a mirror that's going to bring things up in you that don't always feel good. And that doesn't necessarily make it bad, but it was that desire to get curious about myself relationally and how that reflected in my relationships outside of myself. And you, you preach about that all the time. Like, how do we relate to ourselves and how does that reflect with how we relate to others and how that manifests and the choices we make? And I love that. Like, I love that so much because A, it lets you off the hook a little bit. It tells you that, hey, like I'm a bit responsible for myself and these relationships, like a hundred percent. But two, it allows you to reclaim your power. If you have the power to like mess things up for yourself, then you definitely have the power to clean your shit up. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like it's we can make ourselves miserable or we can make ourselves strong. The work is the same. So like, which do we want to choose? And I love that you provide courses and tools, even in your like everyday quotes or the guests you've had, they all speak to this. And I think that's what a lot of people don't recognize sometimes is you do have a choice. You don't have to sit in your shit story, like no offense, because I, I told myself shit stories too, but it's how we choose the patterning and like how we manifest that. And it's going to dictate how, how the world responds to us. We do have some agency in that, a lot of agency, actually. Yeah, and it's an interesting line because, of course, the conversation now, if we sort of say, just sort of like recognize, as you said, the work is the same. You can make yourself miserable or you can make yourself excited, happy, all yeah. the things. And 
I remember hearing when I was sort of in the beginning of my own personal journey, someone saying that every moment, every decision you make, you need to ask yourself, is this contributing to who I want to be? Or is this keeping me the same or shrinking me? And I sort of looked at all my choices, you know, because then you do, if you're starting to build this sort of healthy relational relationship with self, it's about building the space to be accurately on and on accurate and honest about how you're showing up. And I remember just sort of having this flood of awareness, you know, whenever you get this new knowledge, you look upon the Rolodex of life and you think, okay, if every decision that I'm making is either keeping me the same or shrinking me or expanding me, oh shit, I've been keeping me the same or shrinking me a lot. And that sucks because you got to sit with that. And I think the delicate line that people dance in is one, being a victim can be empowering. And I think the delineation that's important in language is that we can be victims of circumstances and experiences, of course. 100%. But do we live there? You know, and, right. and I think when we talk about victim mindset, I remember talking about infidelity once and I was saying that no matter the relationship outcome, we contribute to it in some way. Like in some way, we're 100% responsible for a 50%, as my friend Traver says, Traver Bohm. And I remember saying that and, you know, getting comments like, you're victim blaming. I remember one guy, you're victim blaming, bro. It's very triggering, right? Right. And I'm like, first off, I'm not your bro. But second, (laughs) I was just like, yes, and like, that's Mm -hmm. not victim blaming because I'm not saying it's, I don't have compassion for you being the victim of infidelity. I'm saying if you can take responsibility for your part in whatever that means, which doesn't mean you created the infidelity. It just means that we probably, I always find that whenever there's external betrayals in our lives, someone betraying us, there is usually an internal betrayal of self that existed far before. Yeah. I actually will say that's that's almost true all the time. I'm just adding caveats so that I don't get the people who are like, no, but there was this one time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, I, I think there's this powerful shift that feels powerless when we give up the victim mindset and say, okay, I am responsible for everything I create in my life. And what you're inviting and what you're sharing from your own personal story and what you're inviting us to do is to say like, is to ask, where am I putting my energy? Am I putting my energy towards the things I want to create that I complain about that I say don't exist? Or am I going to put it towards keeping that story alive or creating the story? Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. And to speak to what you were saying about being a victim, you're right. It's like, how do we take responsibility for a part in it? It doesn't mean we did the action, but like that quote, it's like, you don't drown by falling in, you drown from staying under. So if you're going to choose to stay in this narrative that isn't serving you and you can't find ways to see how this might transform you or help you grow, then you're choosing that. Like, it doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it, even though it might feel like it sometimes. And when we do criticize, there's usually a desired behavior behind that criticism. So whether it's coming from you or, or you're the receiver of it. But I think often when we're in that state of, being triggered, which was another thing for me, which led me to your work is I was often triggered and I was reactionary and I had all this rage inside because I'm, and I would, 
you know, I was so easy to blame like the shitty date or the fight I had with my boyfriend or like uh, anyone out, like not even a lover, like a brother or a, a family member. And that rage to me was indicative of like, maybe I'm not setting boundaries enough for myself, or maybe I'm not looking at myself in a way that isn't serving me. And because nobody likes to look themselves in the mirror when there's the possibility that they were contributing to their own difficulty or adversity. But there's there's purpose in it if we choose to grow from it. It doesn't always have to be this sentence of like, I suck. <laughs> like, I don't deserve this good relationship, which is another thing is like in dating, you often trip up and create these stories in your head because I wanted to brace myself in case it didn't work out. But that wasn't true. Like I wasn't not worthy of those things. And just as in any relationship, it was just that I I was easily triggered and it was a pattern, a pattern that wasn't serving me who knows way back when. And it just manifests in so many different ways. And that's the scary part about not doing this work is yes, it's scary to do it, but it's even scarier to stay within a mental prison that isn't serving us. So that was really important to me to look at, especially because I don't, I wanted like the life of my dreams, not this mediocre thing. And I can say that I'm moving towards that by doing this work. That's beautiful. And to have it, I'm curious, your partner, Sean, is that Yeah, Sean. Did you meet Sean before you started doing the work or after? I'm curious. Uh, or during or whatever. During, I was married once in my 20s. And that was sort of the beginning of the trajectory of self-work. And it was like all up and down from there. But that was the beginning of my curiosity with like, how could I have everything I want and white picket fence and this great guy who I was with at the time and yet feel this feeling of emptiness, like something was missing and I couldn't name it. And I had so much judgment around me because I'm not sure why, but it didn't feel good. And so... After that, I entered into another relationship right away that was like completely emotionally abusive on so many levels. And I made so many concessions for this person because I thought, hey, if I failed at my marriage, then I can't possibly fail at this. I need to make it look good. Like I need to make it survive no matter how much I was self-abandoning. And it hurt. Like I think the more you self-abandon, the more chemically in your body, it affects you and you do get sick from it. And I just, I wasn't feeling good about myself. And so between then and long story short and Sean, I had a bunch of other relationships that were just always the same pattern, like men that weren't emotionally available. And then there was Sean who was also emotionally unavailable. And for a long time, we did this huge dance with ambivalence. And a lot of people would question like, what are you doing? Like, he's not right for you. He's disrespecting you and all the things. And although there was some truth to that, I wasn't willing to accept the fact that like, yeah, he might be those things, but like also I'm those things. And I was still learning in the process and it didn't deem him like a shitty person or unworthy of exploring a relationship with. It got me more curious about myself. And so we explored that journey together and it was so hard. And a lot of people judged us for it. But, you know, we went to therapy individually and together. We started reading books together, Attached, Mm. Eight Dates by the Gottmans. Such a great book. Such a great book. And a lot of your courses. And um, 
we had little moments of like where we saw eye to eye and we like we had such deep appreciation for that because you can fall in love easily with anybody. You can date very easily. And the thing is, there's a certain point or switch where real life happens and it's not all about courting the other, if I could use that word, it's such an old school word. But, <laughs> 1800s, let's go. Yeah, where real life stuff actually happens and you have to choose to show up with that person or not. And mm. And ask yourself, is this person going in the same direction as you? Are you fighting because you want the same thing in the end or because you're trying to prove each other wrong? Sean and I fought because we wanted the same thing in the end. And that was really scary sometimes. But we had to sit with that discomfort. And it was a whole different kind of relationship when you have a shift in perspective about it. It leaves room for openness And the love we had for each other, although it was very tumultuous at times, it was always expansive. And that's something I appreciated. Like love shouldn't close you off. It should should expand you. It should invite you to grow. And I think we can really blur the lines in that sometimes when we are dating or like learning to relate to other people and we're not totally self-aware of our own ability to do that work. Yeah, I think often too, and thanks for sharing all that. I've, I've like, First off on the thought of like, you're in this marriage, you have the white picket fence, everything's rosy and puppy dogs and ice cream and all the things. And then you're wondering, why do I want more? Like, why is this not enough? And I think, you know, when I think about being in my twenties, being engaged to a really incredible woman, still is an incredible woman, being in the picket fence, all the things and thinking the same thing, I had so much guilt because- you know, what do we teach people? Like, who are you to not be grateful for so many people don't have or don't have this love or this person or this thing? And it totally gaslights ourselves from our own intuitive, energetic experience of our own lives. Like it says, how you feel about your life is not accurate. Let me tell you why you're wrong and why your body Mm -hmm. isn't. And of course, we teach people women especially, but we teach people to be disconnected from their own intuition and their own guidance system, which of course makes us want to buy more shit so that we can numb the pain of self-abandonment and the fact that we have been taught to not be authentic to ourselves. That's a whole other podcast episode. But the, (laughs) the thing you said that all the things you said, I find very interesting in like, you're in this relationship with Sean, it's tumultuous. People are saying, hey, like this isn't healthy. What are you doing staying together? And what I love about what you said, which I think is foreign to a lot of people who, like a lot of people when they want to fight for a relationship and they hear love should be expansive, it should invite you to grow. 100% totally agree with you on all that. And if both people want to expand, if both people want to grow, if one person wants to grow and they're in a relationship with someone who just tells them all the ways they need to grow, that's very different than two people taking responsibility for both their sides of the street. And mm-hmm. that's so beautiful that both you and Sean were like reading books, going to therapy, doing the things, because so many people don't do the things, you know? Yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah, you go to therapy. I'll, I'll be over <laughs> here. I'm fine, you know? It's true. And there's there's such a seductive quality about self-help, right? And like getting access to all these resources. And yet 
Like a lot of what I see on Instagram these days is like, I don't chase, I attract. And sure, that can sound really empowering. But if you don't chase, you attract. But in that little equation, there's a gap where maybe you are pushing down something like a feeling of rejection and not actually working out what that feeling is and why it's happening. And you just like toss it away without breaking it down a little bit, then I don't actually feel like the real work's begun. Like, it's almost like you're just skimming the surface, you know, like, Mm. or maybe it's like you, when you're weeding a garden and you pull the weed out on the surface, but below there's still that root that you need to yank out. And it's, it's only fleeting until that thing happens again. And you really have to observe what that brings up in you. And so with Sean and I, we had a lot of weeding. I mean, we're still in Triggerville sometimes, like add a kid to that equation. And that's like Triggerville to the max. And it's like, Triggerville. <laughs> you have to remember that love is a choice when you're dating, when you're relating to people, chemistry is easy, but the stuff that comes afterwards, that's a choice. And that's a choice to show up for yourself. And you have to be, yeah, you got to be walking alongside your partner. And I, that's another thing that gets glamorized in society is like to become one in a relationship, which is like the biggest load of bullshit I've ever heard. <laughs> right. Just, it's so not true. And if, you know, if you actually believe that, then you've already given half of what what's in your power to do in a beautiful way. So, yeah, you I'm, know. I'm sorry. curious, what are you most proud of Sean in his transformation in your relationship? I'm very proud of him for not running. Sean has not had the easiest cards dealt to him, even from way back in childhood. And there's a lot of triggers there. And I'm not the easiest person to be with because I will call him out on things. But I think that's important. And that's one thing that I'm so proud of Sean and I is that we call each other out on our shit. And it's not like, screw you, I'm out. It's like, let me just calm down while you while I take in what you just said and I'll talk to you when, when I'm calm and we can reconvene later. But right now, like, I don't like how that feels. Like I remember the first six weeks after Koa was born, I think I was Googling at three in the morning, like, is it normal to hate your partner after having a baby? (laughs) Because I was pissed at him that he wasn't waking up at night to give him a bottle when I really craved that sleep. But those feelings are real. And we, We push them away so much. And I said to him, like, I hate you right now. And I don't like how that feels. And like, we can talk about it later, but right now I can't look at you. And and there was so much beauty in that, even though it sounds awful, but he was like, okay, babe, like, I understand. The truth, you know, what a beautiful thing. And the truth frees us always. It's the truth. And he didn't, you know, it wasn't like this permission slip to be like, you're a bitch or I'm out or anything. It was like more an invitation for us to create space for each other to dance in this relationship together. We're constantly learning and it's it's never ending. Like you think you know everything and then you learn something and you know nothing. And it's very, there's a big aspect of humility and humbleness in it. And if you find the right person by uh, do that dance with, then it's it's such a game changer. But I truly believe you can only find them when you've found that in yourself. You've given yourself that same space and grace. How can you recognize it if you don't do it yourself? And that was also the invitation of the work is like, I can't expect from someone that I haven't 
like given myself first. I hadn't given myself that love and grace. So how can I expect someone to just want to be with me all the time? Like, hello, uh, anxious attachment, like from my childhood, <laughs> you know? So I was very fortunate and I don't even think it has anything to do with fortune. It's it's choice. And I just feel grateful that him and I found that in each other. Mm. Choice. There's a, a really beautiful quote from the Gottmans that I've always loved where it says the true, it's something along the lines of the true relationship masters don't leave each other in pain. They repair, they repair. And I always think of that of like when I'm stewing and, you know, Kai has given me some wonderful feedback, although I don't always see it as wonderful, uh, (laughs) that I have the younger part of me who's like, let the disconnection sit here so that she can suffer. You know, that's like the shadow side of me. Yeah. And the adult version of me remembers that quote. And it's like, the real relationship masters don't let their partner sit in pain. So if I needed her to hurt, then I would stay away, you know? But I know that she already understands my pain and her pain becomes my pain you know, in so many ways, like if she's hurting, I'm hurting. And it's this interesting transformation where relationship becomes and the connection between yourself and other, as you're speaking to with Sean, and I can't even imagine with Koa, I'm sure it's a whole (laughs) other level, is there's such a sacredness to it. And if we can treat the relationship as sacred, then we might ask ourselves, what would I do in this moment with something that is truly sacred? And we think of sacred things as like churches or maybe crystals or, you know, children. But we don't often think of just the space that lives between us and another person and the way in which we interact and the words we use and the way we are being and moving through the world. And and as you said, the relationship we have with ourselves, do we even consider that as sacred? And if we don't know that that is sacred and we don't treat it as sacred, then will I be able to recognize when someone wants to treat me as sacred? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff, you know, and a lot of the times in that work, you do experience uncomfortable layers together. And, you know, when you break down the word responsibility, it's our ability to respond to, and that is no one else's responsibility than yours. So That's another thing too, is like you reflect in each other, the work, and it doesn't always feel good, but it doesn't make it wrong. It just, maybe you could sit with that and ask yourself if it's inviting you to go deeper. Is there something more there that I'm not seeing that is, is serving me in some way? I was listening to a podcast by Chelsea Chorus. Are you familiar? Yeah, I love Chelsea. She's amazing. And she had one where she says this poem and it's all about being in nature. And I mean, I'm not going to get this quote exactly right, but it's just about you have ruffles and debris that are there only to shake shit up from time to time. Our patterns, like they're not always going to go away and there might be there just to remind you of your ability to turn things around and maybe that there is something there that still needs healing. But the more you dive deep into that work, the more you can separate your truth from your trauma, number one, and also like it's yours and not theirs. And so not to punish your partner or the relationship for this feeling you're having because it's yours to hold. But the beauty Mm -hmm. about dancing with a partner that 
is doing life with you in that sense is they do learn to hold space for you. Like it's, it's like the symbiotic gift that you didn't even ask for. And you're like, wow, what a super bonus to being grownups and not <laughs> 12 year old selves in our, our 30, 40 year old bodies, like reacting to something, you know? It's such a gift, it's such a gift to <laughs> choose gift. how you want to respond, to choose how you want to create your life. And that cat, you know, that conundrum, that choice, recognizing choice provides. I often think of a quote from Alan Watts where he, he says, when you wake Love up, him. yeah, he's my, oh, his voice. You, when you wake up to conscious choice, you become the God you were taught to praise. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, I'm not saying that you are God or though you are God and you are one and whatever your belief system is, but it speaks to this. We've sort of like made responsibility and choice, this thing that is often outside of us, that is something we revere often, as my friend calls it, sky daddy, this big white bearded guy in the sky, who's going (laughs) to, you know, fate will sort of determine your life. And I don't, I can't remember who says it right now, but it's such a brilliant thought, which is till you actually become responsible for your life, you'll look at your life circumstances and call them fate. And it's such a powerful way of thinking about it, you know, that like I often think that fate, what we might call that, doesn't work for you unless you work for you. And for sure. you're inviting us to do that. And I love that. I mean, this is like an espresso shot of <laughs> fucking light a fire up your ass and get rolling because no one's going to bring life though? to you. We all need it. We all need a nice little, you know, that's me making a slap motion, by the way. <laughs> I remember I went to, I saw you and uh, at the, I think it was the Orpheum where you had Dallas Hartwig. Yeah. And he talked about his book. I think it was like the four season solution. There was something that you guys said that night. I can't remember if it was him or you, but it was something about the quality of our relationships in our fifties will determine our state of health in our eighties or something like that. Yeah. The Harvard well-being study. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I think that's really important to note, like the quality that we relate to ourselves and to others really does affect our health in a good or bad way, depending on how we choose to do it. So if you have that choice and power and you're aware of it, like why, why do we all turn away from it so quickly? It is such a catalytic thing to really move towards a life that is expansive. And it's such a it's such a big feeling. Like I used to walk down with my shoulders down. I'd be like an overreacher. I could be the perfect girlfriend. I can like, I'll be like a chameleon. All my interests will be their interests or vice versa. And it was never authentically me. And there's Mm -hmm. this thing that happens when you stand in your truth, like even your whole posture changes and you almost exude this energy that I've been told is contagious or like, you know, people, want to share their stories for me, but I think it's, it's because I can relate and it's okay to speak your truth. Like there's, there's so much we can access there that is, it's truly life-changing. Beautiful. Well, you are doing that. And I'm so grateful for you speaking your truth and firing me a post push (laughs) Instagram DM. (laughs) I'm, you know, you've really been stepping into your writing and podcasting and all the things. So I'm, you know, first off, thanks for coming on and sharing your experience. And yeah, as I said, this, this, yeah, of course, I mean, who doesn't, I mean, this is what can happen with our lives when we do what you've done. And I wanted people to be able to hear what's available to us when we say enough is enough, like I'm ready. And 
And and so where do people find more of you? Because I know you're on the journey of sharing this. Stuff. Yeah, I started a podcast recently and it's about bravery. It's called the High Tide Podcast. So they could find me on Spotify or on Anchor and on Instagram, some things that I post there about motherhood and my life musings. That's at High Tide Mama. High Tide Mama. High Tide and Mama. what is the story about Koa's name? Curious. Koa's name. So before he was born, I had the beautiful luxury of more time. And I was meditating every single day. And I kept telling people towards the end of my third trimester that this kid's coming early. And everyone was like, he's not coming early. Firstborns never come early. And I'm like, I'm telling you, he's coming early. Like I feel it in my body. And I'd meditate every morning. And just about two weeks before he arrived, I had a dream and was him introducing himself to me. And he said, my name is Koa Wilder. And I woke up and I'm like, wow, I don't know that name. Like it's not on my short list. I don't it doesn't really mean anything to me. Like I did want to give him like a Hawaiian name because Hawaiian, Hawaii means so much to me. I thought about Kai, but there was, there's already a Kai in my family. And when I looked it up, Koa means bravery and warrior and Hawaiian. And it's also the type of wood they use to carve surfboards and boats in Hawaii. And my partner is a surfer. And I still get goosebumps when I think wow. of this story because becoming a mother there's a quote that's like when I didn't know that when birthing my new human, the new human I'd be meeting is myself. And when you mm -hmm. become a mother, there's so much in relation to that in the way you're birthing a new version of yourself versus what you were before that. And no one really ever talks about those components. Like mother is very glamorized, but we don't talk about the shitstorm or the emotional roller coaster that a mom goes through hormonally, physically, and mentally after the child is born. And it requires a lot of bravery and it requires us to show up in ways that we didn't know we had to before. And like, I want to say you have a choice, but having a baby kind of drives you to let those fears and reserves down and take more risks. And that's what the podcast was. I just saw the power in story sharing and connecting with others and how it healed me also. And it just created this beautiful ripple effect. And I've met so many people that are like, hey, yeah, me too. Like, let me give you that nudge that I see you, I hear you, I feel you, I love you, I hold space for you. And, you know, that's an, like something I learned in hairdressing too, is people want to be loved. They want to be heard. They want to be connected. And that is very human. It's what we do with knowing that that matters. And we all have access to the resources that can really enhance that in this one precious life that we have. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that work and for being that work. And we'll link out all yeah. this stuff in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 